Welcome to The How of Business with your host, Henry Lopez, the podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here is your host. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. This is Henry Lopez. My guest today is Scott Crone. Scott, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Henry. I'm looking forward to this conversation. On this episode, Scott's going to share his expertise and tips on investing in self-storage businesses. You know, so self-storage or self-service storage, as you might call it, it's an industry that, uh, for those of you who may not know, rents storage space like rooms and lockers, containers, outdoor spaces, also known as storage units. And in this business, you rent that to tenants, usually on a short-term basis, but not necessarily. I'm a user of this product. I've got a storage unit now with extra furniture. Used to have a storage space where I would park my RV. So I understand it from a consumer's perspective. But this is such a, it's seemingly such a hot industry that everybody's asking about, it seems, over the last few years. So I'm privileged to have Scott on the show. If you want to receive more information about the Howwood business, including the show notes page for this episode and how you can continue supporting my show and receive exclusive content, and discounts through a Patreon membership, just visit thehowofbusiness.com. I also encourage you to please subscribe to my show wherever you listen so you don't miss any episodes. So let me tell you just a little bit more about Scott, and we'll get into the conversation. Scott Crone is a business owner and a real estate investor. He's the founder of One Stop Self Storage and the founder of Coda Management. Coda Management Group facilitates commercial and real estate investments for their clients. One Stop Self Storage is a regional self-storage company serving communities in Milwaukee, Chicago, Jackson, Toledo, Dayton, and Ellsworth, and I believe soon also Louisville and Cleveland. So they're expanding uh, quite, quite rapidly. Scott lives in Northbrook, Illinois. And so once again, Scott Crone, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Looking really forward to this. Yeah, this is obviously an area of expertise for you, an area that you've invested. You are a self-storage uh, business owner. So, But before we go there, I always like to know the backstory. And so uh, tell me a little about your briefly your your early career and, and leading up to starting your first business, if you would. Well, I began per, pursuing my master's in architecture, and that's really how I got into real estate. Hmm. And you know, people might say, well, you know, what does architecture have to do with real estate. Well, my professor was a real estate developer uh, and uh, he was also had a firm that was development, architecture, contracting. And so, you know, when I was his TA and then his student as well, we were working on his projects in class. And so my master's thesis was a, a 400 unit development on um, 50 acres and there's a hundred million dollars in, in revenue. And um, so I worked on that while in school. And then as his TA, I also had to work in his office. And so I was the only student in his group that was an undergraduate in something other than architecture. So I had a bachelor's in history, which meant I could read hmm. and write. And so I got put on the development side of things. And that's where I began. You know, in the morning, I'd be working on the development. And then in the afternoon and evening, I'd be working on the drawings. Interesting. So I worked for him for six years. And then I briefly left that company to go to... Um, the CFO branched off and started his own firm. And, um, you know, that, that company didn't last too long. And that's what gave me the impetus to start my own company at, at the very old age of 28 years old. You know, so <laughs> I don't know if I was, you know, ignorant or stupid or, you know, crazy, but probably a little bit of all those th three things. 
when you were in university or younger, did you think eventually you would start a business? No, I thought I'd be going into our family business. We we had a family business. I was fourth generation on my parent, my, my dad's side and fifth generation on my mother's side. Wow. And, but my mother's side was in Denmark and it, it, they just recently sold it. It was like uh, 150 years. Uh, they owned the company and then sold it. Wow. And on my dad's side, um, you know, it was my great grandfather started it. And I, I worked there briefly while in school. Um, but then, um, you know, they, they showed up my senior year of college and said, we're selling the business. Oh, wow. So that was a big surprise. And so is that, was architecture something you were interested in anyway, or did you just decide, well, let me, let me explore this or was there business related to architecture? It was die castings. And so, um, you know, we made parts for like Schwinn mm-hmm. by school, like the handbrakes and the gear shifters and or Ludwig drums, the rims and the foot pedals. Um, and, you know, for the motor industry and then um, the military industry as well. So it was aluminum die castings. And so there's, there's technical drawings and drafting sure. and those sorts of things. But no, I, I took um, architectural courses in, in high school and I really enjoyed it. I see. Um, but yeah, I was also being recruited for uh, soccer. And I thought if I go to a tech school and don't like it, it's going to be the worst four years of my life. <laughs> and so I decided to play soccer in college and go to a liberal arts school instead. And so um, I, I thought I'd given up that path. And it was, you know, when this radical shift came into my life that my dad said, hey, do you, are you aware that there's these new programs that you can get a master's in architecture without having an undergraduate in it? It was a brand new program. And so I was uh-huh. one of the, the first classes to go through that um, accreditation process. And so that's how I got into it. Interesting. So um, now looking back at it, uh, do you have children now? I do. So what... Um, um, the question is, I'm always challenged with, do we advise young people, go get that degree, but more importantly, go work in the corporate world and then start your business or no, just start your business right away. What are your thoughts now looking back at that? Was was there value and is there still value that you did spend some time working for someone else and then started your business? Tell me what you think about now in hindsight about that. Well, I, I think at 28, I was probably too young to start my business. Um, if I if I'm looking back in hindsight, you know, and you know, I, it was a challenge at first because everyone, you know, thought like I was younger than 28. You know, I'm either blessed or cursed, depending on what age you are, of looking rather young. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, people always question my experience level. But my wife used to work with family offices, and when they had someone who was coming into the business, you know, the next generation they always promoted that they work outside the business mm-hmm. in order to learn other industries, learn other skills before coming back into the business. Right. And so um, I would say that it's important to go out there and learn. Like my kids, um, they're all wanting to pursue other things than real estate. You know, so, I mean, one's in a medical medical field. Um, uh, my oldest, she's the one pursuing getting, she's about to graduate with her master's in nurse practitioner. And then um, my son is pursuing like international business. And then my daughter wants to do logistics, Interesting. supply chains. So there's mm-hmm. like totally, you know, different things. And, um, you know, rather than making them feel like they have to go into the family business, I would want them to have the the freedom to feel that they could choose what they wanted to do. Sure. Yeah, well, no doubt. All right. So how do you first arrive at the self-storage business? I mean, obviously everybody knows about it, but when did you first become involved in this business? 
Well, prior to it, you got to recall, this is like 08, 09, like the crash, right? I mean, yep. the entire real estate world changed one fall morning, right? When we all woke up and heard that these major banks had collapsed. And, you know, so I was, you know, this is what, 15 years ago, maybe, right? Yeah. Doing quick math. And, um, and has it been that long or 12 years ago? <laughs> <laughs> um, Seems like you know, a long time ago. Yeah. So, I mean. I've never heard of a bank collapsing, you know, mm -hmm. except for like the great depression. Right. I mean, that was right. the last time you really heard about these things like runs at banks and banks collapsing. And you're like, what is going on? Like how bad can this be? And, you know, obviously there was a ton of carnage. And because of that, the entire real estate world was pushed into multifamily. Mm. And so there's a lot of people trying to get into multifamily because that was the only thing you could get loans on. And, you know, I, I was also coaching real estate at the time. And one of my clients attended a self-storage webinar seminar. And um, he's like, I want to try to find distressed self-storage. And I was like, for two years, we couldn't find one. It was like, hmm. everything was like doing well. You know, it was like, okay, so you're really going to take this from like a nine cap to an eight cap. I'm like, that's not distressed. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, I began really looking at this industry. I was like, this is a powerful industry. I mean, it's like, and I look back at the recessions and in every recession, the occupancy dropped a little bit, like one one or two points, and then rebounded and went up like three or four, like within a year. And I was like, this is a powerful tool. This is a powerful investment vehicle. And so that's when I sold, began preparing to sell off my multifamily, and we began really just focusing on the self-storage. Interesting. Is part of what happened during 2008, you know, there were a lot of people that had to uh, abandon their homes or got foreclosed on was part of the demand there were people putting their stuff, getting their stuff out of their homes and putting them in storage? Was that part of why there was such demand after the crash? I, I do think that that contributes it. I, I think overall self-storage is addressing uh, pain, right? Everyone's experiencing a pain and the self-storage is a vehicle to release or relieve that pain. And you're like, well, what are you really talking about? So th the pain could be like, hey, my company is growing and I don't have a warehouse. And I need, I need extra space, but I can't mm -hmm. afford a lot. So how do I address this? I need product, but I don't have it. I'm, I'm going through that change or that, that, that pain of having to do, to deal with that. Right. It could be a pain in the rear. Right. So in that case, you know, 50% of our clients are businesses and they're, they're renting it for warehouse. I mean, we saw that pain during the pandemic where, you know, people were buying tons and tons of stuff because they didn't know when the next time they would get to be able to get a light bulb. Right. right. And they needed to have the light bulb. So they would just, you know, buy the materials that they needed when they were available. Um, the other pains could be displacement, divorce, death, um, you know, all these things that cause change. Mm -hmm. You know, if we if we think about just recently, you know, people are using their homes differently. And so it's a pain again, like, well, I don't have enough space, but I can't afford more because now interest rates are rising. And there's, you know, there's been a, a glut in housing starts. And so it's I can't find a bigger apartment. And you know, I can't afford a house because interest rates are higher, but I need a new office. You know, I need an office in my home. I need a classroom in my home. I need a gym in my home, but I don't have the room. So how do I get, how do I make space? And so they're trying to overcome those challenges. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. All oh, those are very great understanding of, of why, what creates this demand. Because I think that often we think all these units are full of people's, you know, old stuff from grandma's attic and that's some of it, but the whole business need for it is something that maybe people don't really stop and think about, but there's, yeah, there's so many 
reasons why, but it's also why regardless of the economic situation, there's different types of demands for storage. Yeah, absolutely. And, and everyone's got their own unique situation. So like when, you know, one, one of the things that we train our sales staff to do is to help our clients, you know, figure out what is the best solution to address mm-hmm. to solve pain, that problem. Yeah. To solve that problem. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, because, you know, part of it, I think uh, when I talk to people about storage units, uh, just talking about it from a business perspective, I think most people assume it's just that us, you know, the baby boomers still can't let go of their stuff. Right. And the kids don't want it. And there's certainly a lot of that, but there's so much more that creates demand for storage space. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, the common thing is hoarder, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, I would say that that is really not the case. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, more times than not, I mean, you know, in our buildings, there are, our, our lockers are all indoors. And so we've converted a lot of buildings into self-storage. And so the lockers go up eight feet and then they have chicken wire on them. And so there's, there's places where we can go in the building where you can actually like look down mm-hmm. and see what's not generally what's in the lockers, but how they're being utilized. Sure, yeah. Which, what, what more or less, what kind of stuff, you know, is it furniture? Is it, you know, this or that or boxes or what is it? Yeah. Right. And so, you know, we can tell like when someone's house is being remodeled because mm. every cubic inch of that space is filled. <laughs> like, and there's no way you're getting anything out. Like, right, right. You know, it's, the it's in there until you pull it all out, right? Exactly. The moving companies put it in there and, you know, it, they're going to leave it there for eight, eight to nine months while they're rehabbing their house. Um, in other cases that you see like storage shelves and it's very lined up and, and, you know, to get the things very easily. You can obviously see that that's a business that's actually using it on a regular basis where they're coming in and needing to find something and it's, you know, stacked away you know, neatly and organized in an organized fashion. And then there's others where it's just randomly put there. Like, mm-hmm. you know, my son was, um, you know, the school year it had ended and we were down in North Carolina and he and his, his couple of his fraternity brothers rented a storage locker and they're, um, they got like a, a 10 by 20. And I'm like, why did you get one so big? You don't need one. This He goes, dad, <laughs> they were giving it to us for like $50. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, yep. they went in there with like, Five bags. <laughs> I'm like, they okay, certainly weren't on top of each other. They had room to spread them out. Yeah. I'm like, okay, your stuff is around that wall. Your stuff is around this wall. <laughs> you know, don't, don't mix them up. Don't you know, touch I'm still joking with them. But it was like a basketball court in there for these guys. Right. That's and, funny. But that was, that's, they, that's what they were positioned to rent was a 10 by 20 versus a, you know, it could have easily fit in a five by five. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So you, you touched on it uh, uh, as you were describing your model, there's different variants as we've all seen and experienced, but maybe I was thought you could give me a high level of kind of the primary different types of storage, self-storage businesses like yours, for example, if I follow what you were saying, you're going into an existing commercial space, like maybe an office building and converting that to storage. Is that right? Is that one of the, that's one of the models, right? Well, I, I, would, I would say this, there, there's our storage and then there's everybody else's, right? Aha. <laughs> of course. <laughs> um, I, I break it down into three categories. Okay. So the, the first category, and I equate these to stocks. So if you have um, people that are familiar with different types of stocks, hopefully this will, this analogy will help out. Mm-hmm. But um, what we call like um, the penny stocks would be the, the original self-storage facilities, the class C facilities, 
uh, drive up, you know, more rural, um, smaller, maybe 100 to 200 to 300 units, non-climate controlled and, mm. you know, mom and pop operations. And those are what the reason why we call them penny stocks is because they're just, you know, clipping along, you know, they're, they're performing nicely and, and, you know, giving you a nice rate of return. They're obviously supporting a, a family's lifestyle, but um, you know, they're first generation facilities. But let, but let me interrupt you here because I'm seeing, uh, maybe I'm misunderstanding. I'm seeing plenty of chains uh, coming into that space. I have a space now in one of these places, if I'm following you right, where it's where you come up to a gate, you put in a code, you drive up to your unit that has a garage door kind of thing and the different sizes. And that's where I stick my stuff. Is that the model you're talking about right now? That could be uh, a C or a B, but yes, okay. that, that would be the model. Okay. Um, the difference between the C and the B is the B would be a little bit larger, like two to 400. Okay. And they probably have a key card access control, that sort of thing and more mm -hmm. suburban. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, depending on where you are, that would be something that you'd see, you know, closer to, you know, a major metropolitan area or in right. the major metropolitan area. Right. Um, class C might be more rural I see. Um, and, and just smaller. Got it. And so class B could be either non-climate control or climate control, maybe paved, maybe not. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we have a class B in, in, uh, Michigan where it's not paved, but we have, you know, full key card access to this. Um, to you know, make sure that we're knowing who's going in, coming out, those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. And um, and this one's around 350 units, so it's yeah. it's a it's a bigger one. I was uh, like when I had my RV, I was in a place where it was all gravel. There were some units that had covering, not fully enclosed, but covering. Mm -hmm. And then there was a yard area where people would park boats and stuff like that, or RVs uncovered. Right, so that that's another example. It was more rural. Um, and that would be more considered class C. Yeah. Yeah. That you, again, you could have the RVs there, but mm -hmm. you know, if you having RVs, then, you know, the cost of land is usually cheaper. And so, yeah, that mm -hmm. would yeah. typically yeah. be a, a class C, but if it's large, it could be a class B if it are in a rural area, it, it. a lot of it has to do with how big the facility, how is. big the facility is. Okay. I'm following right. so far. And, and how old, so newer and, you know, bigger, that sort of thing. And that's like a blue chip stock. It's just, it's clipping along, you know, it, it's a, it's a solid performer. And then we have a class A, which is in more urban and typically 400 and up units and fully climate controlled, and you can actually drive into them. And so, you know, you drive into the, into the building, the door comes down and then you can unload your stuff from your car into your locker, wherever it may be. And it can be vertical. You know, we have one that's eight stories tall and we have others that are just one story tall. Um, but so that would be class A, fully climate controlled. Mm -hmm. And so those are either new or conversions of existing buildings. And so what we have been focusing on is predominantly um, the conversion of existing buildings in, in downtown areas. Yeah. And so that's, you know, we're looking at ur urban settings on those. Yeah, my daughter uh, has a locker in one of those in Manhattan. She lives in Manhattan, has a, uh, a vintage clothing business. And so her excess inventory is in one of those places. As you describe, you drive in, it's in a building that you would otherwise just think is a building. And you take this huge elevator up to their floor and then their locker is up a couple of levels. Actually, they got to roll this big staircase to it to get up to their locker. It's a smaller locker. Yep. She uh, has a second floor locker. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that's cheaper, obviously smaller, but cheaper. Fortunately, the stuff that they're hauling up there isn't too heavy, but they're paying less for that second floor locker, as you call it. Yeah. 
And, and she's a perfect example of what we're talking about in terms of the pain. She, mm -hmm. she has excess in inventory and she needs some place to store it and make Correct. sure that it's, it's dry, safe, and secure. That's right. That's right. Okay. So those are the general categories then of this business. Absolutely. Okay. Um, all right. So let me start off with this. Why, why is it that it seems like everybody I talk to investors or, you know, pseudo investors or people who want to invest, like, for example, I was in the car wash industry and it seems like everybody in the car wash industry also wants to get into the self storage business is kind of a, a running joke, but what, what had, what is the, beyond what you've shared, is there something else that, that makes this so attractive and we'll get into the realities of it in a moment. But what do you think it is that is the reason it's so popular? Well, it's real estate, but it's also retail, right? So it's a retail business because you're dealing with consumers coming off the street and and they're shopping your product. And so, you know, you can compare a product very easily. Like how much is a 10 by 10? How much is a five by five? And these are all published rates. And so, you know, you're, you're competing against the marketplace for this. So it's a lot different than, you know, apartments. You know, does the apartment, you know, have the amenities? Does it have, you know, does, you know, does it have a security? What, you know, all these, where, where's the location of it? Self-storage is what I equate as like the most simplified version of real estate transaction. I see. It's, it's minimizing the, the transaction down to a box. So the way I describe it is it's apartments without toilets. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I've worked on $14 million homes. I've worked on $100 million uh, projects. And I've worked on, you know, hundred thousand dollar townhomes, and we, you know we are now dealing with basically a, a ten to fifteen thousand dollar box. Right. And so, in each of these situations, what we're looking at is, you know, you're renting square footage. And so the difference is, this is a retail business, and because it's a retail business, we can analyze supply and demand very differently than I could on the apartment complex. Interesting. Yeah. So we can see, you know, how many square feet of lockers there are per capita. And I, in our market is one to three to five miles. And now it's, now the metrics have changed to a 20 minute drive. So for your daughter, that's one block in New York. Mm -hmm. um, but out in the rural area, that could be like, you know, 120 miles, depending on, you know, they could get there in, you know, 20 minutes, you know, <laughs> flying yeah. around the country highway. Right. Right. So, um, you know, they, they, the, the, the new metric just recently that has come out is um, how far it is for 20 minutes. That's your consumer. That's your market. That's what people want. They want that, that to be that close to whatever stuff that is, is the 20 minutes. That's, that's what the, their, their threshold is, is what you're saying. Yeah. Exactly. And that's, that is, is that, that's then in part, I have to think what's been fueling what I perceive, I see at least where I live the the growth, uh, how many new uh, store self storage units seem to pop up? Is that partly because it's it there's still demand there that's closer to home or closer to your business, whatever the scenario might be? Sure. So let, let's put it this way: if I have a, a you know in my community, I think there are two in my in my town, and they're on the other side of town. And it, until you were looking for it, you probably wouldn't even know that they existed. Because it's the type of thing, like until you're going to buy a red car, you know you don't notice red cars, and then when yeah. you're going to buy a red car, then you notice all the red. Right, cars. it's not an impulse buy. You have you need this all of a sudden. Now you go look for it. Right, and they're not in like, let's just say they're not in the in the in the heart of downtown areas, like right. you know, taking up commercial retail spaces. So the two that are in mine, I think, are like 100 percent full. 
So I'm going to have to drive more than 10 minutes to get to one. So if I have to drive 20 minutes and, and, I, and I save $2 a month, is it really worth 40 minutes for me to drive there and back versus if I can drive 10 minutes and I can save, it, it costs me you know $5 more a month, I'm going to do that, right? So most of the time that when people are willing to drive 20 minutes is because either they don't, the market doesn't have the size that they want or the, the features that, that they want, like climate control, or in your case, like I need to park a boat or an RV, or I need someplace to drive up versus interior. So all these factors play into it. And so that's, those are what the, you know, the, the, the data points that people are willing to do. Like on an RV though, people are willing to drive an hour and a half to go oh, park sure. an RV. Yeah. Yeah, it's a different thing. Yeah. Right. Um, are you seeing markets that are saturated where where you, you think people are crazy to be opening more or this oh, absolutely. Been, yeah. Okay. Yeah, like Florida. Yeah, um that's right. The am. national <laughs> average used to be like seven square feet of lockers per capita. So um, you know, in that three to five mile radius, if you were over seven, that's when you were above, you know, the supply and de demand curve lines. Um, New York and Florida used to be considered nine. They're building new in Florida, like at 13. Interesting. And, and so, you know, we, we only have built in places where we're under seven, like see. and under five. So are these places I, I either they're, they're being highly optimistic or just operating at a lower occupancy and have somehow are making the numbers work or just praying that they can get through it? Or what, what, what's, what, what do you think is driving all of this besides greed? Well, the, what they're, the, the justifications in those markets is that look at the rates, the rates are still climbing. So there's untapped demand. So, okay, so what's causing that untapped demand in those marketplaces? And perhaps it's because you have a more transient community. You know, mm -hmm. um, the population of Florida really hasn't grown despite ever the fact that everyone's really moving there. Mm -hmm. um, but there's there's still a lot of people that move in and out of the state. Right. So is that a factor? Is the factor that there's not as many basements there? Is the factor that people um, are you know, maybe live in Florida, but then they want to get out of Florida. So they need places to store their stuff so they can get out of there. Mm -hmm. um, like my cousin-in-law, he has a, you know, a smaller RV. And so he needs one for that. Those sorts mm -hmm. of things because the homeowners association doesn't allow you to have different things, um, you know, that you might have the extra stuff. So whatever the reason might be, Florida, New York, California, Texas, those are all really high markets right now. This is Henry Lopez, briefly pausing this episode to invite you to schedule a free coaching consultation with me. I welcome the opportunity to chat with you about your business plans and offer the guidance and accountability that we all need to achieve success. As an experienced small business owner myself, I understand the challenges you're experiencing and often it's about helping you ask the right questions to help you make progress towards achieving your goals. Whether it's getting started with your first business or growing and maybe exiting your existing small business, I can help you get there. To find out more about my business coaching services and to schedule your free coaching consultation, please visit thehowofbusiness.com. Take that next step today towards finally realizing your business ownership dreams. I look forward to speaking with you soon.
All right, you talk about uh, what she say three mind-blowing facts about self-storage investing. So blow our minds. What are those three facts that maybe you've already shared one, but what, what are we talking about there? Well, two of them we have talked about already. So the first one is that it's the fact that it's a retail business. It's a retail business. In other words, thinking about, about it that way, I may not have thought about it that way, um, but but it is a retail business to an extent is what you're saying. Yes. Um, and in fact, I was just having this conversation with a, with a, a loan officer, uh, a, a broker, and he's saying, well, they're, they're looking at, you know, what our, our costs were for the development. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I put in our operational expenses to get it leased up. And he's like, well, those aren't really operational. I mean, those are op expenses, not, you know, development expenses. I'm like, well, you're, you're basing the value of this real estate on the income and the income is based upon how much it costs me to operate it. So how are you not taking this into consideration? Right. It's a true expense. Um, he's like, okay, I understand your point because without it, the building's not going to be worth that much. Mm -hmm. So, um, it's very much a real estate play, but it's very much a retail play as well. The second one is the square foot per capita and how we can Uh analyze the marketplace. Yeah. And we can pull up very specific data that I can, you know, tap into readily and and you give me an address, I can tell you the market. Mm-hmm. You know, I can tell you where things are trading for, you know, immediately. I can tell you what they've done historically. I can tell you the demographics. I can tell you, you know, how what the competition is, all that sort of information. I can readily get that information available. So that helps us determine where to go and where not to go. Mm-hmm. And then the third thing is just the flexibility of it and, and the resilience of it. So we really have talked about all three of it, you know, the resilience of the product within the marketplace. It's it's probably the most resilient product within real estate that I have seen compared to any other aspect of real estate, whether it be multifamily, industrial, retail, you know, um, office, you know, they, they all have their big ups and flows, but self-storage has remained one of the most consistent. So obviously you're still extremely bullish, particularly in the areas where you're expanding. And in particular, if I follow him correctly, this model where you are going into an existing building in urban areas and turning that into storage facilities that are um, climate controlled uh, that you drive into. Is that is that is that where you've been focusing because you're seeing such opportunity there? That is that is the case. Yeah. That also, I, I got to think uh, what it brings to mind is that uh, right now we've got in a lot of urban areas um, an, an, ex, an excess of idle uh, commercial space buildings, right, that are, that are sitting empty. Uh, we're seeing office buildings being converted to different purposes. Is that part of where what's creating the opportunity? Yeah. So the, the, the bigger challenge is that, you know, uh, the perfect a perfect uh, box envelope would be, you know, a, a big old Sears building yeah. or, you know, like that. But um, a lot of municipalities don't want to turn their retail sure. into self-storage because they don't have the the, the sales tax. Mm-hmm. I mean, those are the most classic big boxes for us because it's a big open space and it, it's a f- smooth floor and it's got good fire suppression and HVAC, all those things. So I don't have to spend as much money mm-hmm. um, on the conversion. But the challenge is that the local municipalities don't want those. So like the one in Chicago was originally the Lincoln log factory. Um, the one in Milwaukee was um, it used to be a car dealership and also um, they stored bank data in, you know, cash checks and bank statements in there. It was the first fireproof building in Milwaukee. Hmm. Um, 
Toledo was they stored medical um, warehouse files in there. And um, Dayton, it was, it's, it was been empty for like 20, 30 years. Wow. And it was just in the downtown area. And we, and they tried converting it into apartments, but they couldn't do it because they couldn't get the parking. I see. Um, because the structure didn't accommodate it. It wasn't very right. efficient within that. And so the use was best for self-storage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see now where you're looking for those unique buildings that still have a value, but but can't easily be converted to something else because of other constraints, restrictions, whatever the case might be. Right. All right, fascinating. So should I, if I'm looking into this, uh, into doing this, should I build my own, buy an existing, consider a franchise? What What are your thoughts at a high level there? Well, I, I don't know too many franchises. So, you know, and, and we've moved away from the third party management because we've, we've dealt with a couple and, you know, they were very out to, let's put it this way. They have a business and that's their business. Their business is not my business. It's their business. And so, you know, when they're over inflating uh, expenses and underreporting income, you know, it gives me a, a pretty clear indication that they view me as a way to fulfill their business, but not necessarily grow mine. And who are you talking about now? I've lost you there. Third party management, like a, a major brand, you know, national brand that we hired to the run their business. So we own the building. It, it could be like, um, you know, if you go into a Holiday Inn and you see that this yeah. building is owned by so-and-so, but it's got right. the Holiday Inn brand on it. Right, right, um, right. There's many uh, companies out there that are privately owned. The You know, the building is privately owned. And then they hire these third-party management companies to run their self-storage facilities. Got it, got it. So that, that was the impetus of why we started One-Stop Self-Storage. I mean, literally, they were stealing from us, you know, to put it bluntly. I mean, they were over-inflating their expenses, like saying employees were working a full week and then telling them to only show up for an hour. Hmm. And then also um, under-reporting the income. You know, so when we, when we got the files and went through the audit, we were seeing that they what they were collecting was a lot different than what they were reporting. Jeez, no, that's, that's not right. Fraud. But, but yeah. these are, but, but similarly though, when in real estate, whenever you have a management company, there are challenges there, right? Even with sure. the best of them. Yeah. Right. And so that's, that's why we started our own, but so that's the closest to a, what a franchise that's out there. So, you know, you would hire them. That's called third-party management. You hire them to run your building. Um, the, so most of the time, you know, I think it depends on what type of, you know, entrepreneur you are, what type of real estate investor you are, you know, how much time you have. I mean, it is, it is not the type of business that you, you just sit back and collect checks with, despite what everyone thinks that does happen. Um, you know, but you have to work hard to get everybody on automatic payments and credit cards and all those sorts of things, but it is a retail business. So if you're just want to be more of a passive investor than, you know, coming alongside someone who mm-hmm. develops and builds these things or, you know, manages them, would be that the way to go. If you want to be active in the business, then I would suggest starting with a, a B or a C asset and getting your feet with it, with, learn the industry. And then, you know, you can grow and develop your portfolio that way. Yeah. Yeah. I've also seen uh, one of the models that I've seen that seems very appealing is I've seen people do it over the years that I've known where they'll start with the piece of land, start maybe with like I described where I was storing my RV and then develop it sections at a time. Is that... Is that a model that might make sense depending on my situation and the capital that I have? Yeah. I, originally, self-storage began with the fact that like land banking, right? I have this piece of land that's out in the country. I don't have immediate plans for it, but someone's willing to pay me to park their stuff right. on it. Yeah. 
So I'll build a building and then you can put your stuff in the building mm -hmm. or your boat or whatever it may be. So that's how it really began. And then, you know, it's developed into this, you know, it's, it's like a $30 billion industry. I mean, it's, it's a mm -hmm. huge industry here in the United States. And um, there's a couple of the, the major REITs that have taken it abroad. So they're, they're in Sweden and, and London and Europe and stuff like that. So it's venturing outside of just the United States and Canada. Um, but so it's, it's becoming, it, it's becoming a very much automated business. And, and like everything else, the better the efficiencies are, the more money you'll make. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, in the car wash industry right now to go buy an existing wash, it, it's happening by the big chains that are trying to consolidate and accumulate. And that's what's going on. But because of that, washes are getting a premium. So sellers, you know, for a wash that even might be run down or commanding quite the premium. So as an independent, uh, I might be better off building than buying. Uh, is that the case with storage or does it depend on the market as to whether it might be better for me to buy an existing location versus build from scratch? Well, you, you always make your money in real estate on the buy, right? <clears throat> so the reason why we're buying the buildings and converting them is because, you know, we're buying 90,000 square feet for a million dollars. Yeah. Like, but there I, you're I, buying the building that, that then, then you're converting it into storage. Yeah. Right. I, I, I can't build 90,000 square feet for a million dollars. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. So for me, that's, that's a, that's a better proposition. So, you know, if you're in some communities like in Dayton, let's just take Dayton very specifically here, we had 90,000 square feet. It was empty. Um, they couldn't do apartments because of the parking. <clears throat> it was zoned for storage. And yet the city fought us to prohibit us from putting storage in the building. Why? Because they didn't want it. They, they, just, they just, that wasn't the mix they wanted there. It, it's not what they wanted there. And they were literally fighting us. And, and we had this, um, this debt instrument or equity position called pace financing. And it's, it's the city doesn't um, facilitate it. All they do is allow it to happen because it gets applied to your real estate taxes. So all they had to do is sign a piece of paper to allow it to be put on the real estate taxes. Mm -hmm. And they fought us for doing that for three months because they didn't want self-storage. And so like my argument to them was, well, if you didn't want it, why is it zoned this way? You know, yeah. you, you have plenty of times to rezone it. Like, right. And they're like, well, you didn't come and talk to us and <laughs> about it. And I'm like, we did like, here are the notes from the meeting. We said, this is what we're doing. You gave us comments. We changed the plans. And we did this and we got a permit. And now that we're building it, you're withholding this. And they said, well, we, we don't want that use here. And I said, you don't realize how much this helps your community because people then will move into it knowing that they are moving into a smaller townhome, moving into a smaller apartment, that they can have the ability of having storage. So I said, if it's good enough for the city of Chicago to have it like on the main entrances into the city of Chicago, why is it not good for Dayton? And they said, not here in our community. Wow. And so I said, well, then what do you want? And they said, we want a coffee shop. <laughs> and I said, okay, well, a Starbucks is on average is, is like 1,200 square feet. So if I carry right. out the, the best 1,200 square feet of my building, the corner for you, mm -hmm. and I put it on the market for a, a year, if I don't get one offer at $15 a square foot, which is my market rent for self-storage, um, then I, I want, I'm going to convert it back into self-storage. And they're like, no, you need to do it at $4 a square foot. And I'm like, hold on. 
if if you if this is in such demand, if coffee shops are in such demand here, then why are they only paying four dollars a square foot? Mm-hmm. Why why do I have to give you a concession of eight dollars or you know, eleven dollars a square foot to do this? <clears throat> and I said I'll I'll go down to twelve, and they said two years, and we got one call in two years. Wow. I told my real estate agent, I said, put the price exactly at $12. Right. And he goes, why don't you want to negotiate? I said, nope. I don't want the city to complain yeah. that I overpriced it. Right. Right. You, you did your part, but how, how that was very creative of you to get around that objection and make it work. And yeah, that's, I, I love that. So there's no coffee shop there is, is the no, there's no good. And, <laughs> and the guy who called up was like, you could totally tell that he was a plant from the city because I see, I see. He goes, oh, we want to put a restaurant there. I said, okay, great. You know, <laughs> he goes, well, what is the rent? I go $12. And he goes, what do you mean $12? And I said, it's $12. And he goes, well, you're not going to give us anything. I said, yeah, you can have the space for $12. <laughs> so he wanted you to include tenant improvements uh, and on top of it. Yeah. Yeah. He goes, well, we normally get tenant improvements. I said, okay, well, what's, you know, we'll give you 10 improvements. Like if, if you want, tell us what you want and we'll give you a price for it. And we'll build it out for you. Right. Right. And he goes, no, the other places will give us, you know, $70, $70,000 of, of TI. I and guess then we should go there. <laughs> and then we build it. And then we get three years rent and abatement. And I'm like, hold on, let me get this straight. You want me to pay you $70 for renting my space for three years for free? And he goes, yeah. That's what I'm getting down the street. And I go, sounds like you need to go down the street. You need to go down the street. You know? Yeah. Sounds, sounds like a great deal. Go do it. All right. Um, talking about money, I, and I know this is a tough question, but I, I, capital investment wise, and I know we have depending on the category and the type, but uh, let's say it, you know your type that you're building, class A, you're buying an existing structure, existing building, converting it. Capital investment rate. What are we talking? You're, you're talking about the cap rates? No, no, no. Just investment. How much money are we talking about to open one of these? Well, I mean, you, like a class C, you could um, you could buy one for anywhere from half a million to two million dollars. An existing one, somebody who's already got it's already operating it. Is that what you mean? Or yeah, or, yeah, a okay. mom and pop. You know, yep. okay. you know. Um, a class, a class B, I think, would go from anywhere from like two to five million dollars, and a class A would go. I mean, we're building ours from anywhere from like nine to twenty million dollars. Like, if you if you buy a brand new class A facility, um, you could be spending twenty thirty million dollars. Got it. For if we go then similarly at the lower level, a class C, what, what kind of profit margins? are typical in this industry. And I'm talking about net operating profit margins, what percentage, what are we typically looking at? Well, the, the, the cost basis for your, you know, if you're comparing your revenues to your expenses, your expenses should be running anywhere from 25 to 35% of your NO, of your gross potential income. Um, you know, and the more you automate it, that could, you know, get to the 25, 20% of your total cost. So the, your biggest expenses are typically, um, real estate taxes and employees. Um, so you're you know, saying you're saying gross profit would be about seventy five percent, or or uh, net gross operating potential profit. income. So your gross potential income. Yeah. Let's say if your facility is throwing off a hundred, has the potential of throwing off a hundred thousand dollars of cash, 
take away your, your vacancy. So maybe take, you know, $5,000 off. So $95,000. And then if you're and $95,000 in revenues, yeah. Revenues. Right. Yeah. And then, um, so in the, and that's assuming your economic and your physical occupancy are the same and, you know, mm-hmm. you're fully leased up all those sorts of things. Yep. But and then if your expenses are, are you know, $30,000, you know, you'd be, you have about 60, $65,000 worth of income. I mean, yeah. If you're 30, yeah, you're around $65,000 of, of income on a hundred thousand dollars of revenue. Mm-hmm. So pretty high net operating margin potential. Correct. Got it. Okay. Thanks for sharing those just general numbers. That's always important to me. Um, all right. We'll start to wrap it up here because of time. What 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 um what have I not asked you about related to this business, especially from the perspective of someone like myself who's interested in getting into this business? What have I not asked you that I need to consider about this business before I venture into it? Well, it's it's not the sexy real estate play, right? You know, every, everyone's like, oh, I'm in apartments or I'm in, you know, the big one used to be, I'm in corporate office, right? Um, it's not the big sexy, you know, investment in terms of like, right. It's not glamorous. It's not, it's not, the, glamorous, it's, not right? it's not the thing that we throw around and, oh, I own 200 apartments there. You know, it's, a, it's, right. uh, I own a and storage then, here. You know, are they, are they slumlords? Are you class A? All those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. You know, this is like, if you go around and tell people like, yeah, I have a, you know, 200 self-storage units out in, you know, Oshkosh, Wisconsin. And I'm not blaming, you know, I'm not putting Oshkosh, Wisconsin. I'm just saying like in a more rural community, they're like, oh, wow, isn't that great? You know, (laughs) you know, someone today just literally asked me, he goes, how many properties do you own? And I was like, well, you know, and he's like that. And I'm like, yeah. And so, um, you know, he just didn't have a perspective of like, when I say I'm in self-storage, you know, they're like, they don't consider it the same as other investments. So what does that mean? it's a little bit harder to attract money because people are either understand it. You know, people will say to me, I totally get apartments, but I don't get self-storage. I'm like, it's apartments without toilets. Like, Mm -hmm. what don't you get? Mm -hmm. Um, And then the fact also, there's a lot of lenders that aren't familiar with it. So a lot of times you have to educate people on the, on the marketplace, just because it's not the glamorous one, right? It's not the one that is attractive to a lot of the, the population. Understood. What do you see? Are there any like uh, skills or or knowledge that that you see uh, leads to being more successful in this business, or um, or not? I mean, you mentioned the retail component, right? So that might be surprising to people that really it's more of a retail business than you might think. But uh, is there any is there anything else that you've seen as a common denominator that makes for a successful operator of a storage self storage business? Uh, the 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 better ones understand that they have to lean into technology, right? Okay. Um, you know, a typical mom and pop when you get their, you ask them for their P and Ls when you're evaluating buying their building. Yep. Um, you know, they're like, the one we bought, literally, the guy was running it out of his like eighth grade, you know, <laughs> science graph paper book. Oh my! In a in a in a dumb phone, not even a smartphone. So he did text, and then nice. he had a mail slot that was connected to that would dump the checks into a safe that was, you know, mounted to the floor of one of the units in his self-storage facility. (laughs) And that's how he was running his entire business. And we're like, we're going fully automated. We're going fully like credit cards, you know, payments, you know, we introduced all this technology to it. 
um, gate automation, all that, because he was literally running it with a notepad and a flip phone. Wow. And so like when we're trying to give those finances to the bank, it was like, they're like, well, what can we have his PL? We're like, we literally gave them Xerox copies of his notepad. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No doubt. And that's and that's what I'm seeing also as well as you're speaking to is it just, I mean, in any business, but certainly in this business, the application of technology. And what I saw just as a consumer is, you know, this is a COVID helped us advance that, right? So, I mean, my wife, when she got this last storage unit, which was during COVID, she did it all over the phone and online, didn't have to go into the office or anything like that. So um, I think that's accelerated things. But in essence of time here, tell me about COVID management and the services that you offer your clients. Well, we do three, we do a couple of different things. One, you know, we're developers, we do design build and we also, we don't manage for anybody else. First and foremost, I only manage our own facilities. I was just at the ISS, which is the, there's two major self-storage trade conferences. One's SSA and the other one's ISS. And I literally spoke at ISS about how the problems that we have with third-party management and how to avoid those problems. And, um, I said, like, do not come up to me and ask me to manage your facility. I'm, I'm not going to do it. Um, that's not our business model. That's not what we're out to do. So if, you know, what we do is we can help someone identify a property. If people want to come along and invest with us, we can do those. If they want to hire us to, to facilitate those things, um, we've done that. We've done JVs. We've done people investing. We've done all those different things, depending on what is best for them. Um, you know, we've worked on properties from New Mexico to, you know, Wisconsin to Maine, you know, down to Florida. Um, so if, if someone is interested in this and they, they think they have a good deal, they can reach out to us at info at coda, C-O-D-A-M-G.com. And if they reference this show, then we will send them a couple of things. One is a feasibility study that we hired um, a consultant to do an evaluation of our property in Dayton to, to determine if it was a good market to go into. It's like 175 pages. We will send them that report so they can understand that market plus understand the overall self-storage market. It's a great report. Yeah. Um, I can imagine that, that kind of data and information is invaluable when you're planning a business of any kind. Right. But then they can learn the terminologies, get familiar mm -hmm. with it, all those sorts of things. Right. Right. And then we'll also give them a self, uh, self-storage deal analyzer so they can plug in the numbers and see what, it, what it should be. And if it works out well, so we will give them those two things. And if, you know, and if they call us, you know, we set up a call, you know, this, this industry is too small. We're not going to steal deals from people. That's not what we're out to do. You know, we don't need that reputation. Um, you know, if they're, they're evaluating a property. If they call them up, I can, you know, pull up the data on it and, you know, give them a sense, like, would I do it or would I not do it? And I've had plenty of those calls where I'm like, under no circumstances would I ever buy that building for self-storage. It's just mm -hmm. like way oversaturated. There's like 20 facilities within two miles. Mm-hmm. They're like, I don't know that. I don't see any self-storage. I'm like, here, here, here. And I'm like, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> sure. It's a very common conversation we oh, have. I'm with sure. People. I'm sure. So we, okay. we will do those things for your listeners. Um, all right. You want them to you go to the website and that's where they'll find the phone number to call, or is there a form Just, on the yeah. website? If they go into info at codamg.com, then you know, reach out to us and then we can set something up. Excellent. And we'll have a link to that on the show notes page for this episode as well at thehowabusiness.com in case you're somewhere where you can't write that down. Um, and then thanks also for the the two trade conferences. That's, that's, it's always great when you're first looking to get into a business that there's resources like you and 
these trade organizations where you can learn, right? In the car wash industry, for example, there's there's a great uh, national organization that you can go to the shows and learn and educate yourself. And so that's great that that exists as well for this industry. Um, all right, we'll wrap it up here. Uh, book recommendation quickly. Is there a book that you would recommend? Uh, the Road Back to You. We uh, have our employees read that book and and go through it. And uh, it helps me understand employees. It helps me understand customers, clients, uh, and just myself. It, uh, it's ultimately to get a better understanding of yourself so that you can, um, for the benefit of others, then work more efficiently. Love it. I have not read that book. Thank you for the recommendation. Let's summarize this conversation, Scott. What's one thing you want us to take away uh, if from the perspective of someone considering investing, getting into the self-storage business, what's one thing you would want us to take away from this conversation? The fact that it's a it's a business that you can really investigate, you can explore, you can uh, do a lot of research on it to determine if it's good or bad. Uh, a lot of people think real estate is speculative. There's always an element of that within it. But um, with this, there's a lot of information that you can do to support or, you know, move appropriately within the investment. Yeah. Excellent. Good point. And tell us again, where you want us to go online to learn more. Info at Coda, C-O-D-A-M-G.com. Wonderful. Scott, a great conversation. Thanks for sharing all of this knowledge. Very informative, learned a lot. Um, and so I appreciate you taking the time and being transparent with all this information and for being with me today. Thank you very much for having me. I really enjoyed it. This is Henry Lopez, and thanks for joining me for this episode of The How of Business. My guest today again was Scott Crone. I release new episodes every Monday morning. You can find the show anywhere you listen to podcasts or at my website, thehowofbusiness.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information about our coaching programs, online courses, show notes pages, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com.